Attention, this is not legal advice. If you are experiencing a legal emergency, contact an attorney or your local public defender's office. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Gin and Justice. justice hey i'm justine and i'm amanda welcome to a legal brief a special valentine's day legal brief just kidding it's not valentine my stuff's not valentine's day themed is yours no (laughs) okay mine's not either i mean i can probably (laughs) weave it and make it valentine's day themed because mine's about women but we love you guys though (laughs) (laughs) yeah so happy valentine's day to our very special listeners we super appreciate you and we are going to bring you some criminal justice news during this legal brief. Sorry, I sound like trash. I'm sick yet again. (laughs) We need to put Amanda in an incubator. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of incubators, can I go first? Sure. God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So for those of you who don't know, prisons across the country, state prisons, and definitely private prisons, contract with private businesses for cheap slave labor from people who are incarcerated. And the people who are incarcerated get paid way less than minimum wage. And when they work and they're contracted out to private companies, the prisons actually take like a huge portion of their paycheck, like more than half. And then there's like fees and and of course they're taxed and all that stuff. So they bring home a really small percentage. Um, It's a little bit more than when they work in prison jobs. So Back in 2020, which was three years ago now. Oh, my God. It's all 2020, though, isn't it? <laughs> what is time? It so back, back in 2020, when the pandemic was starting to cause shutdowns across the world, really, and in this country, the prisons were shutting down all of their in-house jobs, but still contracting out to private companies. So there was this really interesting experiment that the Arizona Department of Corrections I'm sorry, was experiment? Oh, yeah, yeah, because it had never happened before. So there was an experiment between uh, the Arizona Department of Corrections and Hickman's Egg Farm. So like, I hate farm factories, and I hate prisons. So, like, the fact that these businesses are in bed together is, like, very frustrating. So, and even worse. Very very fitting. It is. And what's even worse is this story preys on women. So, and I'll get to that part. But so this story is from um, Elizabeth Whitman from Cosmopolitan. And so the Hickman's Egg Farm had been contracting with the Arizona Department of Corrections for a period of time for incarcerated persons to, you know, travel to and work on their egg farm from the women's prisons. When everything was shutting down, prison officials were telling the incarcerated women, listen, you have to either, if you are wanting to work at Hickman's, the egg farm, which was the only job that was available, you have to go there or you're going to get fired. So they shuttled them all in buses to go live at the farm 
And basically one of like the vehicle warehouses or something was made into a makeshift prison dormitory to house these women. They were literally livestock. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's oh, so crazy. Shit. So oh my God. So they continued their partnership for cheap slave labor. The makeshift, and my notes are kind of like all over the place, but the makeshift dorms were prison-made bunk beds and then like separated by a partition was like porta-potties and like they didn't have plumbing. So there was like a separate building that they had these makeshift showers in um, that they could go into. And like these women are uh, working on a chicken farm. So like they need to shower like there's yolk, there's egg, there's feces, there's whatever else, right? Mm. Chickens are dirty. Well, and so the jobs were obviously arranged. There was like a sanitation crew. There was like a cleaning crew. There was a chicken vaccination crew. Um, there was a crew that would euthanize. Um, I forget what the word they used. Hens that were like no longer able to lay eggs. Like lame hens. I, that's mm-hmm. not the word they used, but... So, like, they were basically not useful anymore mm-hmm. to the egg farm, I guess. So, they were youth- mm-hmm. so a group of women were, like, euthanizing hens. Um, euthanizing the old hens. <laughs> like, how Sex. awful. This is a farm factory, people, just so you know. So, <laughs> That's um, so anyways. That's a whole um, other podcast, though. Right, right. So, one day. <laughs> so, um, the conditions were obviously inhumane. Um, at this experimental <laughs> prison farm egg factory thing. And somebody called the Arizona, basically OSHA, uh, Office of Safety Health. But under Arizona law, people who are incarcerated are not considered real humans. So the law, the uh, safety protections oh do not apply. I yeah. can't. I can't. So, <laughs> so they didn't how get any fucking, basic How is this place. fucking real life? How is this real life? <laughs> So they didn't get basic workplace protections and in the, they didn't have heat and um, air conditioning. So like Arizona is in a desert. Um, and so like at night it would be like freezing. Right. And then during the day it would be like a hundred degrees and they would have the porta potties like steaming from the heat, like right next to where their bunk beds were. <coughs> I'm going to vomit. Yeah. So, um, so here's the interesting part. Um, women were chosen on purpose for this experiment. And they were chosen. There was a secret recording of a meeting of the director of the Arizona Department of Corrections, re-entry and rehab, quote unquote, re-entry and rehabilitation department, David Shin. And the quote from the recording says, somewhat chose female inmates because they certainly are a little less challenging to manage and far more compliant in many settings. So um, then, this makes me want to do violence. So they're making an average of four twenty-five an hour. A lot of them after the prison takes out everything and they pay their fees and whatever. Um, so when COVID started, obviously it started hitting in the egg factory and in the prison, and uh, women obviously weren't able to go to work when they were having COVID. They would be shipped back to the prison and put into solitary confinement. So there was a period where women were logging as much as 128 hours in a two-week pay period. So yeah, like 74 hours a week. And then, of course, there were at least 19 women injured between March and December of 2020. One woman lost her thumb in the equipment. So the conditions were, the work was dangerous. The conditions were dangerous. 
Anyway, so that was the little experiment that was going on in Arizona. Interestingly enough, I found a separate article, not about the egg farm, but this article is by The Intercept and it's by Akila Lacey. And it's called Incarcerated People Forced to Do Dangerous Work for Slave Wages at the Height of the Pandemic. And so this talks about how um, when all of the factories and all of the agriculture and everything was shutting down, they started shipping people who were incarcerated to do all of that work for, again, no wages, basically slave wages. Yeah, so this article in The Intercept specifically focused on actually New York State, which is really sad because New York State is actually pretty progressive in their criminal justice reform. So the fact that this was going on in New York just goes to show how um, deeply our country (laughs) depends on slave labor. And so when you think about it, and I always go back to this book, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. She, if you have not read it, like it's an incredible book. It really lays out how, because think about it, our labor force from the start of the country was based on slavery. Mm-hmm. Our country was not built on being able to distribute wealth to you know upper class and sustain a labor force. And so when the slave labor was deducted from that system, they had to find a way to replace that because you can't just, when a system is built a certain way, you can't just, well, you could, but it's not in a way that Mm -hmm. the status quo is going to remain. You could, I'll just leave it at that. There is a way, but it's not in a way where the people in power and the the, uh, wealthy class are going to allow and they have control over the system. And so... Michelle Alexander in her book lines up how when slave labor and Jim Crow went away officially, the prison population boomed. And that's where we get a lot of slave cheap labor. So slave labor has never really gone away. Um, It is so intricately intertwined with our system. So I just wanted to bring those articles up. They'll be in the show notes, but um, the one from Cosmopolitan about the women at the egg factory actually tells a couple different women's stories about their experiences. And then the one from The Intercept just talks about some of the really dangerous jobs that people were not doing during the pandemic. And that's why they brought incarcerated people in. And so incarcerated people ended up doing very dangerous jobs in so mass amounts. Gross. Yeah, for for pennies. So yeah, those will be in the show notes. Really important to remember. It's never good when you have somebody in power, and by somebody in power, I mean a company or lobbyist, to have a reason to have people incarcerated. Right. So it's never a good thing when you're somebody is lobbying because they need that labor. So yeah, um, gross. Yeah. And the whole reason, like this, um, the Hickman's egg farm, which by the way, it's so gross because <laughs> when you go to their website, and I will say uh, the women that were interviewed for this article, did not talk negatively about the actual family who owns the farm. But before I, you know, I was browsing the article and then I just, you know, did a quick Google and I went on the Hickman's farm website and there's a picture of the family there and I'm being a judgy McJudgy pants here. Um, but they look like an, like they look like an old Southern plantation family. They really do. Sorry if they're not sorry if they're like, so like pro, I don't know, whatever. Right. And I will say, you know, 
that was my judginess. And then when I was reading the article, the women that were interviewed actually said very nice things about the actual family. Mm -hmm. It is, but it's funny because it's like, oh, family owned farm, like fresh local eggs, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like behind it is this factory being, you Run know, supplied by these women who basically have a carrot stuck in front of them that if they don't do this, they're not going to be able to work and housed in these like awful conditions so anyways uh, i am done with my soapbox about prison labor and slave labor and i'm gonna turn it over to you amanda i wish that i had better things to talk about than you unfortunately <laughs> i'm gonna talk about a article written by Dwayne fathery i hope that's pronounced correctly <laughs> and it was published by southern poverty law center and it's out of balance, lack of diversity taints Louisiana's criminal justice system. So this article starts out talking about this woman, Rosalind Bob, and her son, Monty, who was murdered in 2006, and how she couldn't get any information from the police at all. The only information that she can get about her son's murder was from the newspaper. Um, <laughs> okay. And it said it was a, a drug deal gone wrong, and he didn't do drugs, and they didn't find any drugs on him. The police wouldn't help her, and apparently this is not new in this area of New Iberia, Louisiana, and the community has been voicing their concerns about the police lack of responsiveness. They've been protesting the abuse of black men in the criminal justice system and how it doesn't represent them fairly. So in the report titled Out of Balance, the Southern Poverty Law Center's lobbying arm looked at the parish criminal justice system leadership in Louisiana, and the report found huge disparities in the state's racial demographics and ethnicity of its sheriffs and district attorneys, the officials at the forefront of the criminal investigations and prosecutions. The numbers are startling. Of the 64 sheriffs across the state, only four of them are black. Only 12% of the 42 district attorneys are black. This is a state where almost a third of the population is black. According to the state-level sentencing data compiled by the nonprofit Sentencing Project, 581 of every 100,000 people in Louisiana are incarcerated. That's the wow. second highest. Yeah, that's the second <laughs> highest, only in comparison to Mississippi, where it's 584 per 100,000, which I lived in Mississippi right on the border, and that is the same state. <laughs> Louisiana and Mississippi are very similar. Right. As in other states in the Deep South, the system is in many ways a legacy of the 150 years of slavery and nearly a century of black codes and Jim Crow segregation. Oh, see, our uh, stories intertwined. Very we intertwined. Didn't even know that. As soon as you started talking, I did. <laughs> Under which states enact laws designed specifically to criminalize black people. The people being sentenced in Louisiana are 3.8 times more likely to be black than white, even though 31.2% of the population is black and 579 is white. As of 2022, 65% of Louisiana's prison population is black. What was that percentage? 65. Mm. Clearly, the people with chief roles in Louisiana's criminal justice system do not reflect the state's demographic diversity, despite research that shows that diversity in these ranks increased public safety, the SPLC Action Fund report says. Out of Balance aims to expose the lack of diversity in Louisiana's law enforcement, particularly its sheriffs and DAs. To begin to chart a path towards a system that truly is representative of the communities it serves and a culture that produces different outcomes for people of color. 
And then the article goes into how Rosalind Bob investigated her son's murder herself. And she tracked down some women who picked up a phone call from, from the jail and overheard this guy talking about how he was hiding out in Baton Rouge because he had killed this kid. And so she contacted some homicide detective in Baton Rouge. And then this dude got picked up and eventually confessed to killing him. So she solved her own kid's murder. Go mom. Yeah. This kind of official neglect is not the worst part of the white heavy power structure outlined in Out of Balance. Louisiana's history of police abuse is long and well documented, and black people are usually on the receiving end. Despite research showing that communities benefit from diverse law enforcement, Louisiana's sheriffs and district attorneys in no way reflect the state's demographic diversity. To be sure, the Louisiana numbers mirror national data as 90% of sheriffs across the country are white men who compromise only 30% of the U.S. population. Traditionally, incumbent Louisiana sheriffs win re-election no matter what occurs during their terms. For example, oh boy, probably not going to get any of these Cajun-ass names right. (laughs) (laughs) Craig Wabry, who is white has remained at the Lafourche Parish Sheriff since his election in 1991. That's really scary. That's really scary. That's my entire life. Yeah. (laughs) He presides over a predominantly white parish where three officers on duty repeatedly abused a black man with cerebral palsy in a 2020 arrest. Caddo Parish Sheriff Steve Prater, a white man in a majority black parish, maintains his 20-year incumbency despite controversial slavery-invoking remarks in which he said that instead of decarceration reform, he would rather extend jail time for the, quote, good ones that we use every day to wash cars, to change oil in the cars, to cook in the kitchen, to do all that where we save money. See? See? See, this guy just said it out loud. The the last example, East Baton Rouge Sheriff Sid J. God damn it. Gatro, 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 who is white, who has won every re-election since 2007 in a parish that is nearly half black, 47%, even after a black man who was experiencing a mental health crisis was fatally shot 21 times by East Baton Rouge Sheriff's deputies. The report also indicates that more diversity along the state's district attorneys could create a fairer application of justice. Statewide, 81% of Louisiana's wrongful convictions since 1989 have been black people. A series of judicial reforms put in place in 2017 marked the first steps towards diminishing Louisiana's place as the incarceration leader. The reforms primarily focused on those convicted of nonviolent, non-sexual crimes to steer less serious offenders away from prison and strengthen alternatives to imprisonment. The state projected that over the next decade, the measures would reduce the prison population by 10% and the community supervision population by 12%. In 2020, Orleans Parish voters elected former prosecutor Jason Williams as the new district attorney the second black man to hold the office following Eddie Jordan, who served from 2003 to 2007. As of November 2022, Williams' office has obtained early releases for at least 168 people through resentencing. The state has also seen a shift of voting patterns in 2020, the same year Williams won his seat. 17 incumbent sheriffs statewide lost their bids for re-election. 
we all just say. (laughs) It's dangerous to have the same people in power for long periods of time. I agree. It's called tyranny. And that's why this country was allegedly started. I mean, it's not, it wasn't really started for that reason. I'm not going to go on my little misanthropist soapbox here, but you know, that's why we say we started to get away from tyranny. So why are we mimicking it over here? Okay, go ahead. They also that year elected Susan Hudson to become the first black woman sheriff. Change takes time and persistence, though. For her part, Miss Robb said that her advice to those trying to work for justice within the system today is the same today as it was in 2006. Always ask questions. I tell them to stay on them, she said. Get with the detectives. Find out where the case is. Write down your questions before you even go. Let them know that justice has to be served. (laughs) She's a badass. The end. (laughs) Well, they have that prison Angola there, Mm -hmm. which is like a notorious prison. Um, That's a bad one. There's a documentary on, I can't remember the name of it, but I'll think of it eventually. Yeah, it's a doozy. When you were um, beginning to talk about the article, all I could think of was Dave Chappelle and his, like his old stuff where he was like, yeah, we would find a dead black man and just sprinkle some crack on him. Like that's what he would always say the cops would do. <laughs> find a dead black man and sprinkle some crack on him. Man. Uh, it's, like he's not wrong though. He's not wrong. I know. That's why it's <laughs> Because, so like, really, though, fucking alarming. I can't believe this shit. So, sorry that was depressing. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, we hope you are either having a good Valentine's Day or a good Singles Day or enjoying it with your significant other, listening to some gin and justice. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go ahead and hop on to whatever you're listening to, whatever you're listening to us on. And leave us a review, Apple, Spotify. The Apple reviews really help because I think a lot of things rely on the Apple charts. So if you can leave us reviews on Apple, we would super appreciate it. Thank you to those of you who have been leaving reviews on both Apple and Spotify. I think you can leave us reviews on Amazon Music. Um, Just check whatever you're listening to us on and go ahead and leave us a review. We would super appreciate it. Next week, we have a really intriguing episode you're not going to want to miss it i'm not even going to give you any hints on it but it is like going to be mind-blowing so (laughs) make sure you check us out next tuesday and we will see you next time on gin and justice we are adjourned all editing for gin and justice done by gin and justice podcast artwork by justin cardone photography by kimber schwakey We'll see you next time on Gin and Justice.